This is the start of the large dark art bark song. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. But hey, we are uh, we are recording. What episode number is this, by the way? This is episode seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Wow. Oh man. Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Yep. Oh hey. And the next one will be episode four hundred and twenty-three. That's the new math. Man, it's so simple that only a child could do it. And hey, it's Sean here at the Pie Factory Podcast, episode seventy-eight, and you are. James G. the second. James G. the second. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. the first Sean C. So, uh, and probably the last is uh, seeing I'm 43 years old and haven't reproduced. So, uh, yeah. And the world thanks you. You're a very welcome world, by the way. And yeah. And uh, the world is kind of upset at me for reproducing, but you know, yeah. And we, I yeah. We, we need to, to agree have, with have a little chat about that in the uh, rap party tonight. Yes. And we do have rap parties, although it's usually just a fresca and some saltines. Yeah. But, oh, man, did you see that we dodged a bullet big time? No. How so? Well, you remember, uh, well, it's been a while since we recorded due to our schedules just not working. Uh, but uh, And it's summertime. Summertime, yeah. Some, some well, summertime. You remember uh, how we talked about before about the, the contract negotiation hell of... Uh, the Hyde St. Pierre. Oh yes. And mm-hmm. how we had this really bizarre proposal for it because, because he was union and that's the thing. He was union. And I did notice in the contract, uh, you just said a moment ago, the Hyde St. Pierre. And, uh, in the contract, it's actually specified in there that we have to talk about him with the word the, Oh, in really? front of his oh name I thought now. that was a typo. No, nope, oh, nope. okay. that's, that's, that's mentioned several times in the contract well, as a thing. Well, here's the thing. Well, remember how we were supposed to have the contract inked by June 27th? And mm-hmm. that ended up not happening. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, the Hyde St. Pierre, as it were, or as it was, as it is, no longer works for me TV, and ergo is no longer a union employee. Really? Yeah. So, um, you and I, we have to sit down with Hyde. Uh, he's out of town for the holiday, but when he gets back, we'll have to sit down with him and see if we can work out something a little bit more in our favor here. Uh, we still have to honor the 12 month or not 12 month, 12 episode interim contract. Mm -hmm. But after that, Hey, we have, he has no union lawyers backing him up. So it's pretty much null and void except for the 12, the the 12 uh, episode interim. So Hmm. yeah, we're going to have to get together with him and, uh, have a little chat. <laughs> so Hyde is at our whim now, huh? And we only have one whim for him. The ball is now on our bus. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what have you been up to, Jimmy G? Not a whole lot. Um, most recently, I was up to six foot four. Yeah. Uh, I am understood standing at my age, you start to shrink. So I expect that to change before too long. And um, did uh, Bike MS uh, oh, yes. week in a half uh, ago from the time that we are recording this, and that went swimmingly well, and I wish I w- was swimming. Even though it wasn't really that hot, it was it was actually uh, quite a pleasant weekend. In fact, it was the nicest weekend I've ever ridden bike MS, and I've been riding it for like about six years now. This is the first year where we did not have 
20 mile an hour winds, uh, steady 20 mile an hour winds. Those are not the gusts or have like 90 degree plus temperatures or some combination of both. It was a very pleasant 82 with uh, light five mile an hour breezes. And uh, I did 130 miles for the weekend. Wow. And um, yeah. And uh, boy, are my legs tired. Oh, (laughs) Oh, zing. Saw that one coming, didn't you? But uh, seriously, it was for uh, for a good cause, and um, actually I got uh, something from the event that I am going to be sending to our good friend uh, Kevin Zerb oh, over Kevin. at Zerbinator, and um, I just need to get it in the mail. I'm hoping Kevin, who was hitting that. on my beagle. He was hitting on your beagle? Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, should I go say less said, the better? Yeah, you should. Yeah, probably. So I was writing that... Um, Kind of a little bit lonely in my hotel room up there in St. Charles, but uh, it was uh, it was nice. I, I was put up by a friend um, oh, awesome. at the Pheasant Run Resort. Oh wow! And, uh, yeah, the um, that's like a real place too. It is. Um, it's not like Bob's Nightly Motel or anything. Don't you know? Knock it until you tried it. But uh, I was in one of the tower rooms, and um, I understand that they're going to be doing some remodeling of the tower rooms uh, before too long because uh, the rooms do kind of show it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but uh, I can't complain because overall you could tell that the rooms are nice, but they do need some. I mean, I mean, come on, it is an older building, and you do have to remodel after a while. It's just you know the way things are, but. Uh, I was actually surprised at how quiet uh, my room was, given that, A, there was a huge wedding going on at the resort, and that there was some sort of dance competition in town that took up most of the rooms on my uh, well, oh. on quite a few floors. But uh, I did get some good sleep, which was a lot better than last year, where I ended up sleeping in my car because my tent collapsed. Ah. Yeah, that was because of the wind again. It wouldn't be the last time you slept in your car because your tent collapsed. Ah, <laughs> ah zingo. Um so there's that. Um, you know, I haven't really been playing very many games lately. I did uh, playing some random stuff on my 8-bit for a little bit, but I haven't really been doing a lot of gaming lately. Did get over to Pixel Blast for their second anniversary oh, did the other you night. And I think you were there, too. Was and I, I? And the only reason I know that is because uh, you actually were there. Oh, okay. So that's how I think I know you were there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I go there criminally not as much as I should. And especially for me, seeing as I don't work horrible far from it. Speaking like of working horrible far from it, you saw the news. Yes, yeah. at Prince Arcades, which is a main, which is a, a pretty well. I don't know. I can't really comment on the size, but uh, they're a pretty important um, arcade game distributor dis, dis, uh, distributor slash um, uh, repair place in Bolingbrook, Illinois, uh, just said, I think it was just today, that they're going to be opening an arcade somewhere in Bolingbrook, which is even yeah. closer to where I work. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's like one town closer. So uh, that will be something. So I will definitely be heading over there when they decide to open, which probably be later. And, uh, oh, yeah, at the Pixel Blast Arcade, there was a uh, someone there demonstrating a, uh arcade game that they're going to be having in a new arcade in the Joliet area. Uh, the place is going to be called 816, but this is going to be really? an interesting concept because it's going to be a console gaming arcade with, like, Sega oh, Genesis, yeah. SNES, NES, uh, stuff like that. And uh, they had their Genesis uh, arcade cabinet on uh, on display at Pixel Blast, and that thing is pretty damn sweet. It is. So, um, And I do have to say one other thing, sweet thing. We've said this before about Pixel Blast, the most, probably the most 
unique thing about the place is some of the uh, non-video games that they have yeah. there, especially that air handball machine. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think I beat you. You did. I beat you uh, for the first time at that game. Very, very close game, though. It, it was a close game. You beat me, beat me by one goal. One point. And I, thi- what's, I think we're now even, aren't we? Uh, I think we're one and one, yeah. Okay. So uh, there was that. and then So we um, have to have a handball off soon. Yes. If you get the... I, I, we tell everybody to you know visit the arcades in the Chicago area, but uh, Any area. Pixel Blast, uh, Pixel Blast, man, they got a lot of you. I mean, it's it's nowhere near the size of an underground retrocade or a or a, um, or a special or, galloping or, ghost or especially or fun well, spot. nothing's on that size. But uh, they're still worth a visit because they just uh, they have a, a good mix of the classics and some unusual stuff, not necessarily arcade related. They also have one of those. Um, arcade bowling machines uh with the yeah. pins that drop down yeah the shuffleboard and, uh, puck was, yes yes uh that was that thing is really fun it wasn't there i don't think last time nope. you were there nope oh that thing was really fun i like those mechanical games like yeah. that those were like those are really fun and I, and I went there hoping to play ice cold beer but it just now occurred to me i don't think they ever had it no they had um they have they had hill climber and it was still hill there climber. i did see it uh i missed that i like that yeah, game. it was that's kind another of mechanical one that's shoved fun. away in a corner sort of uh oh and did you get a p- chance to play the pixel blast arcade yes i game? did yes i did and what did you think of that i thought it was neat i thought it was neat too it's a very interesting variation on pac-man really I cannot wait until they actually get that in a in an actual cab. Yeah, uh, because yeah. we haven't set it right now. It's still like in prototype stage, so they had it on a like a PC with a controller. Yeah, with like an Xbox uh, controller or something. With a, uh, I think two it was a, actually a PlayStation controller, but yeah, uh, but yeah, but it'll be nice uh, once they finally get that into a cab. That was a that was a fun little game. Yeah, it and, was. Um, but yeah, it was, to, uh, I think it was. I think it was either um, the Pinball Hall of Fame in Vegas or Silver Ball in Asbury Park, where I saw Ice Cold Beer. I think it was Silver Ball. Mm, that sounds familiar. That sounds. Uh, I think you've talked about that before. That I never like... played it. I'd like to. I hear Victor talk about it sometimes. Uh, I could have sworn I've heard Ferg talk about it. Hmm. Or maybe it was someone hmm. else. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's one I would like to play. But uh, yeah. again, uh, thank you to uh, to Terry, uh, TJ, and um, Terry and or TJ are the same people, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, who, uh, and, and and Paul, Paul. and Paul for uh, for their hospitality over there at Pixel They're Blast. Good people there. They're very good people. And um, I've noticed uh, that uh, you know Underground Retrocade's a family affair, but. Uh, it seems to me that uh, that Pixel Blast is actually maybe even more of a family affair because they got the two families, uh, you know, working around the arcade there. So that's pretty cool. Hey, you know what? You know what I want to do right now? Limbo. Yes, I want to limbo right now. But you know oh, what? No. I, what else I want to do? What do you want to do? I want to introduce a new feature on Pie Factory Podcast. Oh. Oh yeah, I believe I uh, brought this up to you before. You probably um, did, but I forget but, things. Um, what I would like to do is, uh, first of all, I took the liberty of going live on Facebook right now, so people can see my big ugly head right now. Man, my teeth are my two teeth are so far apart. You know, I don't know if they can hear you, but they could probably hear me. But I'm going to hold up to the camera something that I have that you have had before, but I have not. And pizza. It, Lester's Fixins bacon oh. soda with maple syrup. Ooh, and I like how it that. actually has the word artificial. Yeah, right above there. So it's in case you thought you were drinking real bacon. I don't know. So I decided, you know what? I should try this stuff now. There's a uh, 
frozen custard place in my neighborhood is called Lickety Split on the corner of Broadway and Glen Lake. In the back, they have a refrigerator. Well, not well. They have a refrigerator in a bigger section that's not refrigerated, where they have all these exotic pops, sodas, whatever that you normally can't get in the Chicago area. Like you, you, you can get Moxie there. That's a weird drink, but uh, but they have a good deal of the Lester's fixins and the Melba's fixins drinks too. So I figured, you know what? Uh, I'm now live on Facebook, and of course, people who don't follow us on Facebook can hear this when the episode is released. I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna taste test this stuff right now. All right, the good news is that it's a twist off cap. Uh, they also had the bacon with chocolate, um, Ooh. which I just might I try next like. time. But anyway, here goes my tasting. You'll like it. Hmm. It tastes like pancakes in syrup. Yeah. It's actually, this is pretty good, actually. I like it. That's very delicious. Like a nice maple-flavored soda, which I would like to see somebody yeah. come out with, like a just a straight-up maple-flavored soda. Yeah, I sure. I think that would go over very well. Yeah, I don't really taste any bacon, though, to be quite honest. So, um... It has a bit of a smoky flavor, but that's really, really subtle. And by the way, notice, everybody, what I did not do. There are people who tend to go... When they taste something for the first time, what the hell is that? <laughs> Just freaking taste the thing. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, so um, there we go. I did some live whatever. Um, those of you watching this, this is going to be on the podcast itself. But for now, bye. So that was uh, this week in uh, um, something. Soda Corner. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, Lester's Fixin's Bacon Soda with Maple Syrup. I really like it. All right, so I've had the Lester's Fixin's uh, Maple Bacon, which was really good. Uh, the um, the Buffalo Chicken, which was surprisingly good. It just tasted like a very strong ginger ale. Uh, the um, the Ranch, which tasted like drinking a crayon, which was pretty bad, but not undrinkable. Um, and I've had the Sweet Corn, which was undrinkable. What was the last one I had? Um... Uh, I think I still have the bottle here. I can find it. Oh, yeah, the mustard-flavored soda. Yeah, that stuff is absolutely Mm. undrinkable. Yeah. Does it actually taste like mustard? Oh, God, yes. And I love mustard, Mm. but I do not love that. (laughs) So. I actually tried one of the Melba's Fixins Mm -hmm. drinks, because that's, like, the Melba's Fixins drinks you think would be more susceptible to something drinkable because they're they're much more reasonable like apple like pie peach cobbler yeah. yeah that kind of thing i tried the pb and j it was awful it tasted like neither peanut butter nor jelly it just tasted like the peanut butter to me sounds like it would not translate to a soda yeah. and we've already got grape sodas for the jelly part so yeah that yeah, one but i what could if see not strawberry jelly. Hmm. yeah yeah <sighs> Oh, you know what? I should probably talk about games that I played. Yeah, why don't you do that? Um, actually, what I've been doing uh, the past couple of days is playing some games to put myself on uh, highscore.com, which I've I've mentioned that site before. It's like another online scoreboard besides Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com, of course. It's not the the greatest thing in the world, but it's you know it's still something that I I, I like to do just for friendly competition and stuff. Uh, there are a lot more lacks in their uh, strictness than, say, Twin Galaxies because 
all you need to do is post a picture and some kind of proof that you're the one who played it. Like in the picture, it should have your username in it. I actually submit complete videos. I show, I basically pretend that I'm submitting to twin galaxies. Like I show the console, uh-huh. I show the, uh, connection i i show uh, the controller i show the cartridge i show everything and i actually show the complete gameplay and it's kind of like the twin galaxies uh adjudication technique tg sap i i forgot again what that stands for but users will vote on whether or not they think you actually performed the score that you did and uh, if you say no, there's a bulleted list that you can pick from. Like, which of the following reasons are you rejecting this? Is it because uh, there's no proof of game settings? Is it because this person's past history? And there's one that just says other. And there, there are apparently some people trolling everybody and just voting no without any reason whatsoever which is why very few people have there. There's like a, a legitimacy percentage. Uh-huh. Mine is currently at 97.8 because people have been voting down my scores without leaving any kind of indication as to why. And a lot of people are complaining about that there. Huh. I still don't think it's the greatest system in the world. In fact, there is a, a section where you can actually vote people up or down and somebody posted a junior Pac-Man score for Atari 2600. Uh, the score was like 700-some thousand. But there was no indication as to what which game selection it was, whether it was the default one, whether it was just one monster. Um, it only had the bottom half of the screen, mm-hmm. so all you saw was the score and junior Pac-Man. You, didn't, you couldn't even see how many monsters there were. And it's like, it's like, dude, we need more. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, I want to vote you up, but I can't because you don't have any. It's very vague. It's very vague. But um, I played a few games just to get on the board there. I played different difficulties of Asteroids Deluxe for the 7800. Um, I played a couple of the Pac-Man collection variations also for the 7800 and submitted them. Uh-huh. Um and let's see, lately I've actually been really getting into Asteroids Deluxe, just in general. I noticed that was one of the games you first went to at uh, at Pixel Blast the other day. Yeah, I, I did. And Underground Retrocade, last time I was there a couple of weeks ago, I spent a great deal of time on Asteroids Deluxe, actually. And I, I never noticed until Saturday, did we even mention this in the episode, Lord knows how many episodes ago that was, that Asteroids Deluxe... It's actually one of those mirrored games where you're actually looking at a reflection and not the actual screen itself. I could have sworn we mentioned that, but... Uh... We, we might have it, and I just never realized until we were at Pixel Blast and, you know, with the overlay and everything, just how 3D and it Asteroids actually Deluxe, looks. Asteroids Deluxe was episode 30, by the way. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it took us that long to do it. Hmm. <laughs> That's what she Oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's see, I played. I spent some more quality time with Draconian in the 2600, and it is freaking awesome. I gotta get that one. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Seeing as how much I like uh, like Basconian. Yeah. Uh, but you actually little... liked it more than I did, because I'm just looking at our, our list here. You liked it a little bit more than I did. And something that I noticed about Basconian is whenever I go to say, go, well, now that I know that like basically the three main arcades in the Chicago area... Pixel Blast, Underground Retrocade, and um, Galloping Ghost all have Bosconian. I'm finding that 
the joystick, the Namco joystick, really does nasty things to to my finger, and um, so I'm I have to remember to bring a pair of gl- to bring a glove with me, so I can play Bosconian more than I have been because I love that game. Does a nasty thing to your finger? It like chafes my knuckle or something mm. because like I think because of the way the joystick is and the way my knuckle is positioned, it kind of rubs up against the panel. Chafing the knuckle is pumping the monster for 2018. Chafing the knuckle. Yes. Uh, Andy, Tim, you guys can take that if you want. By the way, uh, Super Podcast Brothers, are they back already? Not yet, but um, I, I think it was Andy who said that they're going to be back very soon. Okay, because they, they, I remember them saying very soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss those guys. I do, too. Man. Um, they're they're nice not going to be here this summer. No. No, because uh, the uh, Minnesota United aren't playing uh, the Chicago uh, uh, Kicky What's Men it? or whatever they're called. <laughs> Chicago Kicky Men. <laughs> um, that would be know. a great uh, uh, soccer team name. The Kicky Men. And we've had so many professional soccer teams come and go. Like we had, like I think the Machine. I think that was a soccer team. Well, I remember um, the Sting. The Sting. Yeah. yeah, named after the movie of the same name. Yeah, is it the Chicago Fire? That's the Chicago the- Fire. The new uh, is the newest one. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, the uh, Fire, the Sting. There was another one. Um, damned if I can remember. And the thing is, is that the Chicago uh, actually um, there was the Rosemont Horizons. Really, uh, was a soccer team uh, after the Rosemont Horizon Convention mm-hmm. Center opened. Uh, they had a soccer team play there for a while. Um, I think that was the Chicago that. soccer team of uh, at the time. I'm curious about the history of that, but oh. oh, maybe we can do that for our next off-topic episode. Maybe. Oh, speaking of which, can we open a Dendur and Arata? Oh, I sure we can. All right, in the episode 78 edition of Addenda and Arata, um, this is just some addenda for me personally because there were some things that I didn't get to talk about last time that I really, really, really wanted to talk about, but yet somehow, even though I was designated as the host for whatever that means, I wasn't able to talk about this. So um, uh, just some thing, some points I wanted to uh, press uh, from our previous episode in which we discovered, not discovered, discussed our uh, bicycling adventures. So just a few things I wanted to talk about. And first thing I want to talk about is uh, based on a couple of comments I got um I just want to say one thing, clarify one thing. Uh, the arrow bars, uh, or as I call them, douche bars, mm-hmm. they are only douche bars if used improperly. Mm-hmm. I.e., like, so you can like own the trail and just basically use them where there's where you don't have where nobody in one's right mind would use them, where there are like winding curves and people all over the place. Don't. One other point that I wish to press, I had mentioned in the previous episode, and in fact, I think Keith was the initial person to uh, bring this term up, the lakefront Lance, and that's the any person on the lakefront trail in Chicago who basically thinks he's Lance Armstrong. These people are despicable, they're annoying, they're dangerous to other cyclists, and my observation is that the more you are dressed as a cyclist with the little bike pants and the little bike jersey with... 8,000 corporate logos on, and you're probably not even seeing a cent from that, the more likely you are to be a lakefront lance. 
something else I want to talk about real, really quickly is uh, something that I, I keep thinking of when I'm on trails and stuff and I'm kind of weaving around, um, say, say rollerbladers and things. Part of me is like, Argh. but another part of me as well, they have the right to be here too. This is not a dedicated bike trail. Right. But then there's this one thing that always creeps into my mind that I have to remind myself and everybody else. And that is just because something is legal doesn't mean it's the wisest thing to do. True. Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like say five o'clock on a weeknight. Hey, you know what I'm going to do five o'clock on a weeknight? I'm going to go for a leisure walk or a run on a busy trail that people use to commute home with. I'm going to ride my bicycle on Pine Bluff Road. Yeah, that's something I don't do unless I absolutely have to. It's like, come on, people. Be, be smart. Be smart about it. Another point that I want to press. <gasps> Ooh, I see what you did. If you are on a bicycle and you are pedaling and moving slower than people are walking, you should not be on the bicycle. Okay? There. And Another I, point I was, that I, I wish, was going oh, to please, say. Please, please, hold your comments until I'm done. Okay. Another point that I wish to press as a cyclist, I just want everybody to know that I'm simply trying to stay out of everybody's way and be safe. I'm not necessarily trying to like be the first one to get to a destination. I just want to keep myself in a safe distance between people so I don't ride up against somebody like uh, one thing that we have in Chicago, it's uh, called Divi. Uh, most major cities have publicly shared bikes and that's what Chicago's public bikes are called. Uh, you, it's a, for a monthly fee, you can take out a Divi bike for half an hour at a time. Mm -hmm. If you keep it for more than half hour, you have to pay a little extra, but uh, each trip is for ha is half an hour and all that stuff. The problem is the Divi bikes are slow, even in their highest gear. Like you'll see someone like pedal, 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 and they're going like four miles an hour. It's not their fault at all. Not their fault at all. But uh, if if I'm behind someone on a Divi bike and the Divi bike in its highest gear is going slower than my bike in its lowest gear. That's going to cause a problem for me. So I'm going to try to get around. I'm not trying to be, Hey, come on, move on. I just want everybody to be reassured that p us bicyclists aren't necessarily just trying to be road hogs. Mm -hmm. Another point that I wish to press Keith had mentioned how he, he gives people warnings when he's going to pass them. He'll say on your left which is pretty standard. I and that. I mentioned before how I really hate that because it sounds snooty on your left. Oh, excuse me. Which is why I, I Some tend, people put a bell on their bicycle and ring it. Yeah. To make people or, aware. Or what I, I actually use a complete sentence because like I said in the previous episode, not everybody out there is necessarily familiar with the language. When I first heard on your left, I didn't know what the hell that meant. And then I suddenly got buzzed and it scared the crap out of me. So I will actually say that in a complete sentence. I'll say, Hey, I'm going to be passing you on the left. Nice and loud. But on the other hand, it's kind of weird though, because if someone now were to say to me on your left, I will actually turn to them as they're passing me and I'll say, thank you. I do that. Yes. And it's, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like how I do not like it when people call me like, like feel Bob. that they need to call me <laughs> Mr. In my last name. It's like, I'm no better than you. Just call me Sean. Yet I actually call other people Mr. This, Ms. That, if like I, I don't really know them very well. 
It's, it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, this, I really hate it when people do it to me, but I feel wrong not doing it to other people. So <laughs> I, I don't know. There's gotta be some kind of psychological term for this. Um, lunacy. Another point that I wish to press, uh, in my observation as someone who rides a bicycle, the most dangerous things to cyclists are from least to greatest. Number three, motor vehicles. Mm-hmm. Number two, pedestrians. Mm-hmm. Number one, other cyclists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because I find in, them to be very in certain circumstances, I can in in many circumstances I can agree with that. But it's the, but you ride in the city and I ride out in the rural which, area, so well, yeah, my, my perspective part, will be different. Which exactly why? Which is why I was really glad we had Keith because we we threw in someone who also has suburban experience. Mm-hmm. But something that I found, and the reason that I put motor vehicles at the bottom of that list is that I found in my own experience, at least in city riding. That if you make an obvious effort to be safe and courteous, people who are driving motor vehicles are going to appreciate that. The first time I actually took my bike out for a ride, after I got it four years ago, I was just kind of going up and down the neighborhood, breaking it in, and you know, just make, regaining my own balance. Uh-huh. Saw a car coming. I actually pulled all the way over to the curb, and when uh, the car passed, the uh, driver rolled down the window, and she said, thank you. I was like, oh, that was very nice. But my my findings are other cyclists, especially men, are just plain selfish. It's all me. This is my road. So that's kind of why I say that. And again, if there are two inches of space between you and something, they will tr- they will squeeze in that two inches at ninety miles an hour. And that's <sighs> one, one. Please hold your thought until I'm done point pressing. <clears throat> one more point that I'd like to press. One additional point that I'd like to press. Uh, I also do the hand signal thing, like I mentioned before, but there's one thing that I do want to say that kind of bothers me. It's when people use mysterious hand signals. Case in point, sometimes when I take Clark Street down to work in Chicago, I'm on Clark Street, there's this one woman, she's a a long, long brown hair. When she signals, she doesn't like point to the left or point to the right or point down to stop or anything. She puts her hand straight up in the air and wags it back and forth really, really fast. What? That means nothing. No, no, no. It doesn't mean nothing. It means one of the following. It means either I'm making a left turn, I'm making a right turn, I'm coming to a complete stop, or I'm going to continue. It means one of those things. Or I'm having a seizure. Or I'm having a seizure, yet somehow managing to stay balanced on my bicycle. You'd be surprised. And the final point that I wish to press. Which I thought that was the final one. No. No, I did not say it was the final one. Ah. I said additional or something. Uh, But the final point that I wish to press about uh, bicycling uh, vis-a-vis previous episode is, you know, in the four years that I've been back on my bike... It just hits me how I don't remember ever doing so much bike maintenance back when I was a kid. I never had a broken spoke as a kid. Mm-hmm. I never oiled the chain. I never had to worry about the wheel in true. And that's another thing. Why Why is it that wheels are called true instead of balanced? Why do we have to have a new word for that? That's not really necessarily a new word because I've heard that, excuse me, applied to, uh, to other things as well, uh, mechanically wise. So it's not just that. Uh, I think balance and true are, inter- are interchangeable in uh, in the field of mechanical engineering. And I don't remember ever having the brakes worked on at, when I was a child. 
the only maintenance that ever happened was if I needed the inner tube changed. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And usually my dad or my brother did that for me. And that's, that was it. That's like second nature to me now. So why is it that as adults now we have to uh, have regular, like, what's so different about it now? Because the kids You may were, speak kids now, rel- by the way. Kids relied on their parents and the parents did everything. Now our parents want nothing to do with us. That's pretty much what I thought yeah. it was going to be. Now, um, what what were your thoughts? I know that I had to uh, uh, interrupt you. Because the only reason I was saying it when I did is because I knew I would forget what I was talking, uh, what you were talking about. But as far as the signals go, there are the, the hands extended out for a left turn, uh, down for a stop, your left hand up at a 90 degree angle for a right turn or your right arm extended for a right turn, which is also yeah, I do legal. the right arm because I still, yeah. the, the straight up arm, I never know what that means. Yeah, but I do that too because it just may, I do the right. Also, yeah. because it makes more sense. But when you're out doing group rides, there's other uh, other things that uh, they like you to do. Uh, obviously, there's the on your left thing, which that is in, 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 indeed more for other cyclists, uh, not so much you know joggers or whatever. But uh, joggers we, are supposed to have similar language, though. My wife actually yeah. took some uh, running classes not too long ago, and they okay, and, and, and they told classes. her like when you when you're when you're running. Yeah, I know. It's like what George Carlin says about the magazine Walking. There's actually a magazine <laughs> called Walking. Look, Dan, the new Walking is out. Here's a good article, putting one foot in front of the other. But it's more like how to how to maintain yourself, proper etiquette, uh, right. make you know, make sure that you're hydrated and everything. And they tell people like, hey, you know, you're gonna pass other people. You know, you're gonna have. Other people who are just taking leisurely walks, you might see somebody uh, pulled over with a bike or something. Just say, I'm passing you on the left. But so, like, there is, uh, there's one other thing that, uh, that we do as cyclists is uh, we will point toward the ground and wave our arm back and forth or forward and back if there's like a huge obstacle in the road that will uh, oh, really? cause, an, cause an accident. Like if we oh. see a, a, a hole uh, in the road that is kind of hard to see, but we're by it. We'll point at it. Uh, when I was on doing bike MS, I'd see a hole. I would point to the ground and wave my arm over it. I would saw, there was one time I saw a nail on the road and I pointed at it and waved my arm back and forth over it to warn other cyclists to beware of the hazard. I wish those people were there when, uh, I was taking Lakefront trail in February last <laughs> year. And, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, wow. uh, that's, and I, and if I'm with uh, a group of people, I will do that. If I'm not, I, yeah. I don't because, I mean, what's the point? <laughs> but uh, I, That's good to know because today yeah. on my way, I, I rode my bike to work and back today. And they're doing a lot of work on the lakefront trail up here. Like they're actually trying, they're trying to separate the bikes from the pedestrians now. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're like new detours now. And the new path is terrible too. The cyclist path is terrible. And the pedestrian path is terrible because my wife's been using that to uh, do some running. And she's like, what the hell are they doing? But something that happened today is on the way home, there was a chunk of the path literally missing mm-hmm. that was fully intact when, it, when I took it this morning. And uh, when I got past it, I saw that a, a dude was coming by the opposite direction on a skateboard. So I yelled over to him. I said, hey, there's a chunk missing here. So mm-hmm. be careful. He's like, oh, thank you. And like. I so it's good to know there's some kind of hand signal for that, yeah. but and um, because you know, it's it was easy enough for the guy in the skateboard because skateboards don't move as fast as bikes do. If it was a bike, they just go vroom. It's like oh, I didn't have time to warn you. 
And, and a few other things that I've learned um, is that if you're coming to a stop and you're with a group of cyclists, you, you do the arm signal, but you also say slowing. Uh, oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. cyclists know you're slowing down. And then when you get to the stop sign and you look both ways, there's nothing coming, you yell clear so that the next couple of cyclists can uh, <clears throat> can slow down and then go through. Seriously, if there's nothing coming from either direction at a stop sign, I mean, especially out in a rural area like I live in, I don't see that as much of a problem uh, Sure, out here. In the city, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get Yeah, and, the, and like those that. of you but who I don't mean, ride bikes, are, just, uh, just to give you a little perspective, on a bike, you have a hell of a lot more perspective. You don't have the blind spots and everything, so you can yeah. have a much better view. And uh, I've, I will still stop at a stop sign if there's clearly nobody coming, if there's anybody present who might be looking at me. Mm-hmm. But T intersections, by the way, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I rarely stop unless there's clearly somebody coming because like, if I'm at a T intersection and I'm on the part that is not intersecting, I'm really not in any danger or putting anybody else in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, though? The, the, st- the stop sign right here by my house, I do stop at it because there's almost always a car. At- I mean, it's not busy well, at all, yeah. but I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe... 30% of the time I'll have a, see a car at it. So, I mean, that's one thing, but I, I do ride out like 10 miles further out where there are stop signs, where there's nobody as far as the eye can see. Those yeah. I'll just ride through. But, I mean, that's rural. And, and, as you as know, long as you're not putting yourself or anybody else right, in danger. Right, that's the thing. That's know. the thing. Yeah, like I've said before, uh, if obeying the law you know, puts myself in danger, then, uh, you know, I break the law. Otherwise, I, I generally try not to. But, I mean, there are cases where it's just kind of pointless to obey the law. It's like that. So, yeah. but at any rate. Um, but that, that's, all I, that's all I had for a Denver And I Arata. think, uh, and I think uh, we should make point pressing a feature. Oh, huh. Yeah. When you said there's a point I would like to press, I'm like, ooh, feature. Mm. Mm. Feature. Mm, feature it must be. Wow. So, two new features in one episode. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, hey, do you have any Addenda and Errata? No, but I do have some news uh, oh, that I just tell. recently found out. Uh, going all the way back to episodes. Gewing? Gewing. Back to episodes. Let me ah, good. Here. We're finally talking about video games again. Yeah, uh, we are, actually. Back to episodes 23 and episode 23 and, oh, 33, where we talked about Berserk and 23 and Frenzy in episode 33. Uh, I found out... Um, thanks to Nano Chess on Atari Age, that uh, the creator of uh, Berserk actually he didn't did he create Frenzy? I don't think he did. I think he just no well, maybe he did. I think uh, I think it's the same person. Yeah, but uh, Ellen McNeil who created Berserk oh, yeah. and or Frenzy, uh, he passed away this uh, previous uh, oh. December. Um, I, I did not see. hear about that. Yes, um, he oh, died God. December twenty ninth, twenty seventeen. And uh, he died of a heart attack. Oh. Um, he was the son of... Da, da, da. He was born in Urbana, Illinois, 1951. Lived there until huh. he was five. Then the family moved to Chicago. Uh, he majored in art, but like performance art and also computer-generated art. And um, in the obituary says, Alan was the creator of one of the most famous of these early arcade games, Berserk. It made money for his employers big time, but not so much for him. Yeah, right. that's actually in the uh, in the, the thing. And I think so, that's still true to this day. I mean, video game designers don't get crap. Mm-hmm. And they're treated like garbage from what I understand nowadays. So he actually moved out to Kalispell, Montana, 
which yeah. I've actually been to. Uh, oh, there's in a 19- freaking surprise. Oh, he, he moved out there the year after I actually visited the area. Oh. Uh, that's uh, that's near um, Glacier National Park, I believe. So I can, un- having been to Glacier National Park in 1986, I can understand why he wanted to move there because it's mm-hmm. awesome. But uh, so, yeah, he's um, buried out there. And uh, if you would like to uh, send a gift, uh, he re- the, the family requested donations to the Montana Wilderness Society. And they're encouraged to visit the website at, uh, or, well, okay. Don't, they, would, they would appreciate donations to the Montana Wilderness Society as, uh, as a remembrance. So there you go. A link in the show notes for that, of course. Yeah. Uh, there actually is no link to that on the obituary page, but uh, we'll find we can, one. We'll find something. We'll find. Yes, the Montana Wilderness Society. So yeah. That's really yeah, that's, cool. I mean, that's that's cool that he, they're, they're doing the donations to the Wilderness Society. Not uh, cool that he died because uh, he actually <laughs> helped um, Bob D. Crescenzo yes. with the Berserk Frenzy cartridge for the 7800. And he made one post on Atari Age back on September 6, 2013. And uh, it's not very long. I'll just, I'll read it here. Hi, I'm the Alan McNeil that designed the games. Bob contacted me quite a while back when starting the project. I'm advising and suggesting changes to his, to this project. Glad to see my old games finally make it onto an Atari in a decent version. This is fun for me because it's a lot less work suggesting a change than coding it. Glad to see a few players out there still want to play the classics. And that's the only post he ever did on Atari Age, September 6, yeah, I 2013. Yeah, I, I thought I remembered seeing a post from him on Atari Age. Location, Montana, U.S. I love Montana. Yeah. It's a beautiful state. Never been there yet. Oh, gosh. You've got to get there. So, there you go. That is wow. it. Yeah, I Earth guess. And Arata I, news, point pressing, and yeah. soda drinking. Okay, so what should we do now? Let us talk about a game, and since... Ooh, let us... Uh, ooh, nice. uh, and since I am sweltering hot here and I need to turn <laughs> the fan on, let's talk about the game Eyes first. Oh, yeah. Oh, one more point that I wish to press uh, from uh, uh, just an observation that I made is that, man, if I see you riding a bike that's a little bit too small for you, my first thought is, um, okay, that mu- speaking of sweltering, that must be a very hot bike. How can you stand staying on it? But uh, yeah, mm. I mean, my first thought is, yeah, where'd you, what kid did you steal that bike from? Uh, and yep. kind of br- and bringing this on topic, interestingly, when uh, Underground Retrocade had the Man vs. Snake Illinois premiere. In, Wait, uh, what, what are they watching out for? But when the Underground Retrocade was showing Man vs. Snake, uh, I didn't see it from the beginning. I walked in about 15 minutes in, so I didn't. I missed a lot of the context. But there's one scene in which Tim McVeigh is riding this this bike. And Tim's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And he's riding this bike that's like freaking that, yes. tiny. And of course, because I am who I am, my first thought was, okay, Tim, what kid did you steal that from? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I totally missed the first 15 minutes when he talked about how he was always into BMX bikes. Mm-hmm. And I think he mentioned it later on in the movie, though. Uh, but yeah, it's like, okay, that makes sense because you're not going to find a big BMX bike anywhere. <laughs> But um, speaking of Tim McVeigh, um, Tim McVeigh, as some of you might know, uh, if you have not seen Man vs. Snake, you should. It's a really, really great movie. It's so much fun. Uh, it's about Tim McVeigh and his history of getting a billion points on Nibbler and the first person known to have, get, to have gotten a billion points in any video game. And uh, Rock Ola actually had the con- had a contest. They say, if you can get a billion points in this, we'll give you your own Nibbler game. 
So of course he did. And he got his own nibbler game. And of course he's thinking, wait, why do I want a nibbler game? I've been playing it for how long now? I played it so many times. I'm sick of it now. I want a different game. And just recently, Tim was talking about how he would like to add another game to his, co- to his own arcade collection. Mm-hmm. And one that he had mentioned that he was looking for is the one that I'm going to talk about now. Um, Nibbler was designed by Rockola, as was this game, Eyes. Eyes. And, uh, <clears throat> I've been waiting to make this joke. The Eyes have it. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. You can continue. <sighs> okay. Okay. Cut, cut. Hide, you can cut the crickets now. Um, but um, anyway, uh, Eyes was released by Rockola in July of 1982. And I don't think we mentioned this before, but Rockola is well, was located at 800 North Kedzie in Chicago. So that'd be uh, the intersection of Chicago Avenue and Kedzie Avenue. And uh, that location right now is a shopping center. So yeah, Rockola is, I think Rockola still exists. I think they moved out to California. And uh, there was also a knockoff version of Eyes released by Zakaria or Zacharia or something. And anyway, um, Eyes was designed by Luis Sanchez, and he would later work on games for the Sinclair ZX Spectrum. And um, he may have been an employee of Digi... Digi... Words are hard. Digitrex Techstar. Digitrex Techstar is actually the company that developed Eyes. I believe Rockola outsourced them. And... Interestingly, the game looks very, very similar to Nibbler. It has kind of the same vibe. Um, the pieces that you have to pick up in, in eyes and the pieces that you pick up in Nibbler, they all kind of pulsate. And there's, there's all kinds of similarities in those two games. And of course, Nibbler would come out uh, in December of 82, five months later. So you got to think, hmm, maybe they used Nibbler and basically hacked it into a new game. I was unable to ascertain, though. I was wondering about that because in playing it uh, a little bit this uh, this evening, uh, I noticed that uh, the mazes uh, looked and really felt like the same ones in Nibbler. Yeah, they're definitely not the same ones, but yeah, they definitely have that look and feel. Is they, it, might be, they might be the same ones hacked. It's definitely, the, the machines definitely use the same hardware. That, oh, that yeah. there's no dispute about. Because you, you can just tell it. Yeah. So I'll let you continue. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, good sir, because the game looks like it was actually inspired by Pac-Man. You have a series of mazes. Uh, there's one maze for each level, and there are eight levels. And you control an eye. An eyeball moves around the maze, and it is pursued by enemy eyes. And your eye has to clear all of the... Uh, I think they're called bonus objects, according to the manual. You have to clear all the bonus objects in the maze. And how do you clear said bonus objects? Well, I'm freaking happy that you asked. You clear the bonus objects by shooting them. That's right, you have to shoot them. The control panel has a four-way joystick and a fire button on either side. Well, except for the Zakaria version of Eyes, that only has a fire button on the left side, not on the right side. But uh, you shoot the enemy eyes and they regenerate in a few seconds at a seemingly random place, either on the left edge of the maze or the right edge of the maze or the top edge of the maze. But unlike with Pac-Man, you can actually touch an enemy or pass right through the enemy and not lose a life. The only way you actually lose a life in eyes is to get shot by an enemy eye. You shoot at the enemy eyes, they shoot at you. 
quite uh, simple explanation as that. And uh, by the way, I mentioned before that there are eight levels in the game. The first two levels, you're going to have four enemy eyes going after you. And then levels three through eight, there are five enemy eyes. And uh, those eight levels, uh, I don't think this is anywhere on the cabinet itself or in the actual game. But each of those levels, one through eight, uh, the manual, not the manual, the flyer, the flyer refers to each of those levels as modes. Uh, level one or mode one, they call it Jazzman. And they give it a little description that says, make it happen. Uh, mode two is right on. And the description says, don't look up. Whatever that means, I don't know. Uh, mode three is hard rock. Go for it. Mode four is hot stuff. Concentration. Mode five is crossover. Don't take shortcuts. Uh, mode six is hey man. And the description says, where do we go from here? Uh, mode seven is called sweet gal. And the description is coming on strong. And then mode eight is called cool down. Don't let up now. I have no idea what any of those has to do with any of those levels. Hmm. Where do we go from I, here? I really don't know. No, I just don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking Alan Parsons project for where do we go from here? So. Did I ever tell you I, I actually rode on, a, on an airport shuttle sitting behind Alan Parsons? No. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife and I were in a shuttle bus going from the Hyatt Regency O'Hare to uh, O'Hare, and Alan Parsons was in the seat in front of us. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. I'd like to yeah. meet him. And uh, let me did I actually meet, did I actually talk to him at all? I don't remember. Hmm. He was a Beetlefest guest, so that's... Ah, okay. So. But anyway, um, I should talk about how you score points in eyes. So uh, you get 50 points. This is interesting because I don't know of any other game like this where you get points just simply for not dying. For every second that you're alive during the gameplay, you get 50 points. Are there any other games like that where just the longer you live, the more points you, you just, they just give you points? I don't know. And I'm thinking about all these games that have a timer on them. The timer clock's down. And then on top of it, you don't get a, the the bon those points until you complete the level anyway. Yeah, and there's no timer in this. Hmm. You just get 50 points every second you're alive. I wonder about point-pressing strategies on this game. Yeah, I, there's got to be some point-pressing oh. strategies because, man, I cannot get past mode 5 at all. Yet I'm seeing... Well, I'll get to the points, the uh, high scores later, but... Uh, if you shoot an enemy eye, you get 100 points times whatever the mode number is. For example, the first level, you get 100 points for shooting an eye. The fourth level, you get 400 points for shooting an eye, etc. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's, it actually says in my notes right here, these two things combined just beg for players to point press the game. I also added my own comment here, but good luck doing that in later levels. The bonus objects that I talked about, those are the things you have to... I don't know why they're called bonus objects, because you have to clear those. You have to. And uh, they're the equivalents of dots in the Pac-Man games, really. You get 500 points times whatever the level number is if you destroy a bonus object, which means, hey, level 8, you get 4,000 points per bonus object. And there are a lot of them on the screen. So you, okay, I can see if you can survive to level 8, you can really rack up a huge score in this. And now, as for the bonus lives, I'm a little bit confused about this because um, the operations manual says that the factory defaults have the first bonus life issued at 75,000. But in my own experience, 
it's actually 50,000 with another extra life every 50,000 points. Twin Galaxies says that uh, the default settings, you get fi- you get a bonus life at 50,000, then 100,000, then 250,000, and it says etc. But no, I was finding if I use the default dip switch settings that um, I just get an extra life every 50,000 points. But I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a podcaster. Oh, something else that I should talk about, by the way. In 1983, there was a company called Taiko, T-E-I-K-O. They came out with a clone of eyes. They called it Egor, E-G-G-O-R. Lego my Egor. Yes, exactly. And you control a bird who has to shoot eggs that are placed throughout the maze, and it appears to be an exact clone of the game Eyes. Huh. Uh, except instead of Eyes, you're shooting at vultures. And even the um, high score table screen is exactly the same. The Eyes has a unique high score entry table. If you make it to the high score table, all the letters are placed in a single row, and you move the joystick left and right, and uh, you basically hover a cursor over the letter that you want to enter. Mm-hmm. Egor is the exact same. Interesting. The only thing different about Egor is I think some of the scoring is a little bit different. Uh-huh. But I tried it out and it's it's pretty fascinating. Now is the part of the eyes discussion in which I talk about the home versions. There, yes. I am done talking about the home versions Ooh. of eyes. Cause uh, there aren't any as far as I know. <laughs> and anyway, um hey, you know what? I think I can answer this question for the both of us. Something we like to talk about. Yes. Where did you first see and or play Eyes? I can answer that for the both of us. This is the uh, Karnak the Magnificent segment of the the Pie Factory podcast. Indeed. Uh, Please, uh, Carson Estate, do not sue us. Yeah. You're not going to get anything if you win anyway, so. Yeah. You get some tears. That's about it, really. Yeah. Um, gee, let me guess. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's have some fun with this. I will guess the first place you played it. Then you guess the first place I played it. And then okay. we, we'll reveal uh, if the other person's right. Okay. Okay. Mm-mm. Galloping Ghost. Galloping Ghost. Yes, you're correct. Wow. We're both wow. correct. Yeah. Never and saw it, it anywhere but Galloping Ghost. Yeah, pretty, yeah, I've never. Yeah, I remember when we saw it. We were actually at Galloping Ghost. You were having a birthday thing. I remember it was uh, you and our friend Bob and and his wife, and I think your wife was with us too, and our friend Fred and his wife. Dr. Frederick Q. Armageddon. Yes, Dr. Frederick Q. Armageddon. Uh, we went to... Um, the buffet we went, at the Rivers Casino. We went Casino. to the buffet, yeah, buffet at Rivers Casino. Which, by the way, excellent buffet. Oh, it was, it was very good. Yeah, we were both happy with it. My wife joined us for that, but she didn't want to go to an arcade, so uh, I dropped her off at home and then went to Galloping Ghost. And we saw eyes. I think it was Bob who spotted it on the way out. <laughs> he we spotted were leaving. <laughs> I spy. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> but he's the one who spotted it. It was a cocktail table. And he was like, hmm. what's this? And we all looked at it. We're like, what? That's, we that's interesting because the ghost doesn't have any cocktail tables now. Nope. Um, I think the, yeah, cl- the closest to a cocktail is the... Uh, the, uh, the Galloping Ghost branded Pong machine they have, but that's not even a cocktail. Uh, but the they what? have a full, yeah, it's like in a, it's, it's kind of like in a white half, uh, half a Nintendo tent cabinet sort of thing. Why do it's, I uh, not right know by, that? It's right by the washrooms. Probably because oh. it's pretty overlookable. 
Uh, oh. But it has it's a, it's Pong, but it's got the Galloping Ghost logo in, in the game. Um, hmm. But uh, but the Eyes machine they have now is a full cabinet. Yes, yes. I've gone back and played it several times, of course. But yeah, I totally agree. I don't think Galloping Ghost doesn't have. I don't think they have any cocktails at all, simply because they just don't have the room for it. And I don't. Know, maybe Doc's one of those people who's not a fan of them. I don't. Know. I know some people who aren't cocktail table fans. But anyway. Um, let me see. How about, uh, how about we go back and talk about high scores? Sure. Let's do that. Oh, why? Thank you. Uh, I will start with twin galaxies because I like this person's name. According to twin galaxies, they have the highest score as uh, 23,222,320. Does n- not surprise me that score. This okay. is a very high scoring game. It, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll get to that in a moment. The name of the person who is on record for scoring this, Rugi or Rugi, I'm not sure, R-O-O-G-I-E. I'm going to say Rugi Elliott. Oh, like Bougie Baker. Exactly. That was what I thought, too. Rugi Baker. Yeah. Hey, Rugi, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I apologize. But anyway, that was verified by a referee, so somebody actually watched him do this on August 23rd, 1983. Nice. And if Eight we go over nice. to, the, to uh, Orcade.com... Uh, James Dindorf has the highest score on there at 26. Okay. What? Yeah. That's a cool name, too. Come on. James Dindorf. Dindorf. You're only saying that because you're German. Dindorf. And you're biased. Dindorf on golf. But uh, James Dindorf actually scored almost 3 million points higher than that. He scored 26,153,650. And, of course, because Orcade.com is owned by Galloping Ghost, it should be no surprise that this score was performed at... Grinker's Grand Palace in Eagle, Idaho, uh, during Grinkfest 2016 on October 15th that year. I think that place is the uh, one of the few arcades in the country that actually has a Firefox machine. Oh. I think so. Hmm. Oh, hold on a second. My kids are knocking on the door even though they know where the frickin' uh, hidden key is. One second. This is weird because I, I went to Orcade.com just now just to uh, see. I typed Firefox, and um, when you actually... Or is that cl- iRobot they have? I don't know. But if you uh, search sounds- for Firefox and it gives you the clickable link, it says name Firefox, and then total it says two. But if you click on it, it only shows one location, and that's Pinball PA in Alakipa, Pennsylvania. That's it. I think the Eagle Idaho one is the one that has iRobot, actually. Huh iRobot, yep, yep, Grinkers has it. Yes, that's it. Oh, and the so, Game Preserve in Spring, Texas. Oh, and Pinball PA in Alkeepa, Pennsylvania. Oh, wow, there's a few locations been added since I last checked. Huh. Well, I know oh, you, we, you got, should we hope- really should make a, a trip out to that Pinball Palace in Pennsylvania. I think that's the one that's a pretty huge arcade. Hmm. I don't know. Road trip. Who wants to finance it? And let's see, as for me, the highest score that I have officially on record is... Uh, 149,530, which was performed at Galloping Ghost Arcade on June 28th, 2015. Uh, I've since gotten about 220,000 in MAME, but man, I cannot get past level five at all. It's just so hard. It's it's hard because they come straight at you and the fire, when they fire at you in later levels, it is fast. You don't have time to dodge the fire Mm -hmm. and it's, 
to the point where if you actually cross over one of the enemy eyes, you will die because they will fire before <laughs> you cross through. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I didn't one thing I didn't like about this game is while the uh the eyes do appear in four uh specific locations in the maze after they've been shot, you know, after a while it's always the four same locations, but more often than not I have found myself passing through those locations when the eyes yeah. appear. Uh, seems like a cheap death, but if you remember, that's where they're going to always appear. I mean, you can av- at least you can avoid that in future, yeah. you know, in future plays. But uh, yeah, that kind of uh, killed me quite a bit. Oh, and something I noticed is that uh, you can, if your timing is right, you can actually destroy more than one enemy eye with one bullet. Really? Yeah. Like if they're overlapping with each other, the exact same, like. Like, if they're overlapping such that you only visibly see one of them, they'll both be destroyed. Interesting. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I wonder if that has, if that's any kind of a strategy to be, that, that people use to get these high scores that I cannot get. One thing I thought was interesting about this game is um, how it's, it, I mean, it's, it's obviously Pac-Man-like. You gotta, but you gotta shoot the dots or what do they call them? Bonus items or whatever the hell Bonus they are. objects. Bonus objects. But um, by introducing the the fact that you have to shoot them, you can actually clear out, uh, you know, complete rows or columns yeah. of the maze and not have to go over there, which I find uh, very, uh, very helpful. Um, the only thing with that is the mazes are designed uh, in such a way where you can't clear a maze just by yeah. staying on the bottom row, boom, boom, and shooting, uh, shooting up. <clears throat> Say no to drugs, kids. Uh, you know, at the bonus objects, so it's it still is a nice, uh, nice, nice strategy. Um, I have to say, um, I kind of like this game. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. The first time I played it, I was like, eh, so what? But I was playing it a little bit tonight, and uh, yeah, I've grown a little bit more fond of it. It's uh, not one of my classics. It's uh, kind of maybe a halfway game for me. I did as I am wont to do. W O N T. Uh, to uh, put on some cheats and just play for a while, and uh, and the score counter rolls over at a million points. Ah, and uh, that's uh, I calculated that out about fourteen mazes, fourteen to sixteen mazes to get a million points. So yeah, this is a, a high scoring game if you can get that much in that little time. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I I think I'm growing a little bit fond of this game. Uh, I've not played it enough to make it, you know, into my upper echelon of games, but uh, with my limited play experience with it, I guess I might as well rate it now since I'm leading up to that. Uh, I'm going to rate this game a three with the, you know, possibility of going higher. I'm going to rate it a four um, simply because, you know, it's frustrating and it's a frustrating that I kind of like. And yeah, it's obviously, it it obviously wouldn't exist without Pac-Man, but, you know, it's very, it's a, it's enough of a variation, and I, I know this is terrible, but I do like that it gives you a chance to rack up a lot of points. Mm-hmm. I really like that because I mean, yeah, because like you can get to a hundred thousand, one hundred and fifty thousand without a heck of a lot of effort. Right, right. And I, um, what did I uh, notice? I think it was like you get a free life like every twenty thousand points by defaults. Uh, fifty. Was it 50? Why am I thinking 20? Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm high. Well, you'll have to go back and listen to the part where I said that the manual says one thing, but reality says something else. Uh, yeah, I'll probably have to do that. Yeah. In other words, I won't. So, hey, that's the uh, that's what I think. Uh, do you have any any further thoughts on Eyes by Rock Ola? Um, 
if you got a uh, you know a quad player you know tournament going on, uh, would that be four eyes? <laughs> oh boy. We've had to use that sound effect again in the same episode. Yeah. But, um, hey, if not, then should we move on to the other game that we're going to talk about? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Four continues for me, for eyes. Yes, I do remember you doing that because I had put it in the spreadsheet already. Ah. I am not a mind reader. Oh. So, not anymore, anyway. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, move on uh, to the Eater of Ants. That is the Ant Eater. Huzzah, the huzzah, anteater. anteater. Yes, anteater is a... And huzzah eyes. And huzzah eyes. Yeah, we forgot to do that, didn't we? So, uh, yes. And huzzah bike riding. Uh, we didn't huzzah, do that last huzzahing. episode. Huzzahing. ing That's going to be my new verb for the year. Huzzahing. You so. can verb any word in the English language. <laughs> or in the words of Calvin, uh, from Calvin and Hobbes, verbing weirds words. <laughs> So, yes, Anteater, copyright 1982, Tago Electronics, T-A-G-O. Anteater is a game which you have a, a aardvark, or an anteater, whichever you would like to call it. I personally call it aardvark because it's two A's, and as such, he is closer to the beginning of the dictionary. And you got to eat all of the ant larvae in the underground maze, which is actually an anthill. Well, uh, in the anthill, there are... In enemy insects, there are ants, there are worms, there are spiders, and there are queen ants. And um, how do you eat the ant larva? Well, you move your tongue through the maze to eat the ant larva. And you can snake the tongue down the maze and eat all of the ant larva. And the controls consist of a four-way joystick, and there is a retract tongue button. Now, what will happen is as your tongue snakes through the maze, if an ant touches your tongue, you lose a life. Your ant, some reason you eat ants, yet if an ant touches your tongue, you lose a life. Figure that one out. Well, I think the ant actually bites you if you don't use that, the tip of your yeah, tongue, so that, that's probably that's true. true. You have to touch everything with the tip of your tongue. Now, the worm will pass through your tongue unless it touches the tip of your tongue. And if that happens, you lose a life. However, you can eat the worm from behind. So if your tongue touches the worm in the direction opposite of which it is moving, you can eat the worm. Yes. Eating <clears throat> eating the worm. Now, also... Yeah, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, no, it doesn't really. Now, at the bottom of the maze, there are a couple of um, queen ants. And if you were to eat one of those, it clears all of the other insects off of the maze. Um, one interesting feature of this is at the top of this, this game is at the top of the screen there's a sun that moves from the right to the left. And when it gets to the left, it turns from day to night. And it introduces a spider into the procession here. And the spider will climb down your tongue. And if it reaches the tip of your tongue, you lose a life. There is only one way to get rid of the spider, and that is to eat a queen ant. Or, so if you do that, you get rid of everything, all of the enemy insects on the screen, and you get rid of the spider. And... Um, Gameplay is really quite simple. In fact, this is really a classic formula. I remember when we were talking about Space Invaders and how we had they had all of the clones because the uh, the game wasn't properly copywritten or something like that. Copyrighted. Copyrighted. Well, I would think Ant Eater is kind of in a similar position because, truth be told, I've never seen this in the arcade. So they were already going to hmm. answer that question. But I have played different variations of this game. Um I guess we can get to that in just a moment, but I think I'll go on to the scoring of the game. It's really quite simple. 
Uh, each dot or ant larvae is 10 points. An ant, you get 100 points. A worm, you get 200 points. And queen ant, you get 1,000 points. Ant eater is known in the UK as the ant eater. Ooh. And in Germany as... <clears throat> I'm in... <clears throat> I'm missing bear. I'm missing bear. Bear. I'm missing bear. Something or like something. that. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not very good with uh, with names, but... Uh, Apparently, interesting, uh, between the levels, Anteater plays the music in the halls of the Mountain King. And at the start of each level, the music played is a short fragment of Rons de Vaches, Vaches. Rons de Vache. Yes, the third movement movement of the William Tell Overture. And if I keep mispronouncing words like that, I'll have my own movement. So, ooh, zingo. See, one of the things that I like about covering this game is that I finally know what those pieces of music are because they're used everywhere. But you never hear like anybody say what the title is. Nope, no, you don't. Mainly because most people can't pronounce them. Yeah, that and and it's it's nice that we have all this public domain music to use in video games. So that way, hey, we learn about it. And that way, when they uh, come out with a new version of the game years later, they don't have to uh, have to change the the music because of copyright reasons. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. <gasps> Frogger. <clears throat> oh gosh, excuse me. So, um, so yeah, that's nice, D- despite the fact that uh, there was only ever one home version of Anteater, and it was never released, hmm. as the Atari 2600 prototype by Mattel or M-Network. Have you played that? Uh, I have not. I don't, did they ever release the ROM? I don't think they oh, did. Yeah. Yeah, you, oh, yeah. Yeah, did? Atari Age has it. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I probably have it on my computer, it, then. I meant so, to play on, it, but hold I... Hold on, hold on, one second. Um, so where was I? But yeah, uh, I've never played the arcade Ant Eater, but uh, there were in the there was only the uh, the one Atari twenty six hundred port, which was never released prototype by M Network. But yeah. I, thought I think Mattel, it's fully playable, and I meant to download it and play it, but I also meant to win the lottery, but that didn't happen. <laughs> I thought uh, a lot of the M Network prototypes were unreleased, but now thinking about it, I think it's the only ones that had licensed um, that were licensed properties like uh, the Rocky and Bullwinkle game and the uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons games uh, uh, for the 2600, which really, actually, all those looked pretty sweet, and I would love to play them. And really, all they got to do is strip the title off of a lot of those, maybe change the sprites in the yeah. Rocky and Bullwinkle, but I digress. But, uh, yeah, um, Anteater, uh, while only having the one official port, there were a lot of clones. I think the most uh, well-known one is uh, one called Oilswell, which was, um, let me see, that was on... I'm guessing it wasn't the Acorn Archimedes. Well, it was on the Apple II, the C64, the MSX, the uh, Atari 800, the ColecoVision, and the PC. And then uh, there was uh, a British game called Aardvark, which was on the C64, and uh, what the hell does C16 mean? Oh, Commodore 16. 16. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. And then there was one called Artie the Aardvark, which was on the Apple II, Commodore 64, and the Atari 800. But there were also a few others. And in doing my research, I I was thinking, I've played this before, and I know I've played it on my Atari ST, but my original searches didn't come up with anything. However, um, I see I mentioned Artie the Aardvark, uh, which actually, Artie the Aardvark, which is almost identical, uh, it was written by the original creator of Anteater. Oh, really? Uh, Chris Oberth. Yeah. Oh. And, of course, that was converted to C64 and the Atari 8-bits and all that. Uh, Sierra Online did the Oil's Well game. And uh, here's the game I was probably thinking of, Oil Mania for the Atari ST. Wow. <laughs> 
there was Oil's Well, Pipeline Run, Oil Mania, Jack the Digger, Diamond Mine, and Diamond Mine 2, all, all uh, clones. A couple similar games. There was uh, K-Razy Antics, which I actually have on my Atari 8-bit computer here. I have to uh, load that up, hmm. uh, which is a similar feel, except that uh, the ant is, def- is defending the anthill from enemy hmm. ants and the anteater. And um, there is a game called Ant Space Eater. You know, Ant Eater, not all one word. Uh, which was on the VIC-20, uh, the TI-994A, and the Atari 8-bits. But uh, that game is actually a Dig Dug clone. Interesting. I'm going to have to look, at the, look into that one. I know I most likely got that on my Uno cart, which if you have an Atari 8-bit computer, get the Uno cart. It's a great investment. But uh, that is, in a nutshell, um, Ant Eater. That, that pretty much in a nutshell is Ant Eater. Yeah. Not a whole lot to say. I mean, if you were to ever see this game in the arcade or play it in emulation or whatever, you're like, oh, yeah, I've played a version of this game before. It was uh, this title on, you know, this computer or whatever. So hmm. it's a very, very common concept. And uh, another uh, twist on the, the Pac-Man uh, dot-eating theme yeah. became very popular around that time. Well, so. Except I never actually saw anything like it, though. I'd seen it before in several different incarnations. And... Um, hmm. And I guess I want to get into my opinion of the game here. Uh, I actually oh, like the uh, the version I had. I, honestly, I think the version I had on my Atari ST was uh, was a public domain version and not a commercial release. But I actually liked that a lot better than the arcade uh, hmm. game, which uh, I've only actually ever played in a ROM because, as I said, I've never seen this in the arcade. And judging from the picture of the cabinet that I'm looking at here, it looks like the cabinet's kind of playing, like something that they would... S- Stick in the corner that nobody would play because it just huh. looks like a big nothing. The marquee is <clears throat> the marquee is bollocks, as they uh, would say over around ten pence, and uh, the cabinet is just like black with a little tiny splotch of color. Hmm. Uh, I'm hoping that is not an actual cabinet well, because that looks like cobbled together in someone's garage. Well, an underground retrocade, it's like in a corner right up front. Like it's really? the first thing you see when you walk in. At least right now, it is. They must have gotten that uh, since I've been to Retrocade it, last yeah, time. It's a fairly it's a fairly recent edition, okay. actually. So, yeah. And it's interesting that both of these games we're talking about tonight, they're not in very many places at all. No. At all. Like, I think uh, Anteater, I think, is only at four places. These are some of the more rare titles that we talked about. Although, I would think Firefox and iRobot probably be. But those are bigger titles that are rare, though. These are more obscure rare titles, so there's a well, difference. Well, not Uncle Pooh obscure, but... Well, no, true, but... I still wonder if there was ever a cabinet made of that game. I <laughs> know oh, there was a board made of it. Well, there had to have been. Yeah. At any rate, so, yeah. Um, I would rather play the home computer ports clones of this game than this than this machine. I'll have to try some of those. I want to think I've played Oils well. I've probably played it on the ColecoVision, now that I think about it. But, yeah, I, I like that version better. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm going to rate this game a two. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you seem a lot less harsh about it than I would. I just, well, I just, I just, I, I, I don't like it. I, I really, I, I really can't get into it. But I have fondness for the the home clones. I think the home clones did the the did the gameplay better. I can't really put my finger on it, but you know what? I, what I think it is is when we were talking about um, Tinkle Pit. I think it was you said that felt more like a home game than an yeah. arcade game. And this is a game that I think is better on a home platform than it is the arcade. This is a concept more suited for a home platform than an huh. arcade. But I think that's what it is with me with this game. 
Could be. And yeah, it does look like something that somebody could have done in like 8-bit basic. I mean, not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it just... Well, I mean, there it, were a lot it, of games from that era that looked like it. Yeah, and they were still pretty good. Right. Phoenix, for one. And, um, man, I mean, as for my thoughts on the game, well, I'll put... I mean, I tried it a couple of times at Galloping Ghost, because they've had it forever. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really make an impression on me, but then when we decided to talk about the game for this episode, I was like, you know what? I got to make some effort to actually play this game and get and advance in it and, and stuff, you know, so get familiar with it. So I played it on Underground Retrocade, and yeah, they just did get it over there. So I tried a few rounds of it, and the more I played it, the angrier I got. <laughs> Anger because eater. It, oh my God, it's just f- so frustrating. You, you got to keep watching the whole screen, which, I mean, yeah. I, I, I get that you pretty much have to do that in pretty much any game, but it's like in this game, you really, really got to pay attention, though, more yeah. so than most other games. And I don't know if the concept really but should yeah, call I'm play, for that. I'm playing it. I played it a few times, and I could not figure out for the life of me how to actually clear an entire anthill until I discovered the, the uh, queen ant. Mm-hmm. That's a big help. Mm-hmm. But All I, the way at the bottom of the I, screen. But I clear. I finally cleared a level, and then my game was over, and then I quit, and then Scott, uh, you know, this was right up front, so of course Scott was right there. He said, so what do you think of the game? I said, well, I'll put it to you this way. I cleared the first level, so now I never have to play this game again. <laughs> and he said, oh, come on, don't be like that. And I, I really hated it. But I'm going to give it three out of five continues. Three? And I'll tell you why. It's actually grown on me. Really? It actually has. Because like, just out of curiosity, I tried a few rounds in MAME. And I was like, okay, now that I know how things work, you know, it's it's not that bad. It's okay. I can't I can't really trash it. It's it's creative enough. It's got uh it's I, got it's, it's got an original shoes. it's an original twist on the dot munching genre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I like how they how you're not really controlling a character, but a part of a character. An appendage. And and, and I think my tongue. curiosity was piqued when No Quarter talked about it a long time ago. Yeah. Well, even their most recent episode was, was a, a long, long time, time ago. Come on, guys, get with it. <laughs> but, yeah. hey, what can I say? I mean, a three out of five continues. Wow. I'm kind of shocked, and, actually. And, yes, I'm, play- I'm actually playing video games while I talk right now. So, And I am giving this episode my full attention, and no, I'm not on Facebook. No, I'm, I'm playing Draconian right now and quite enjoying it. You can hear my Ed Ladin controller. How can you miss it? Yeah. Hey, I miss it when I'm gone. <laughs> it's like, oh, I miss my Ed Ladin controllers. Hey, by the way, did we talk about scores for Anteater? No. Why don't we do that? Oh, because I'm in the middle of a game of Draconian here. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, the Twin Galaxies record is held by Ma- Maria Biasucci, and uh, Maria scored 224,170. Nice Italian and, name. Uh, that's a, I hope so. And uh, that's a fairly recent score. That's from uh, May 25th, 2017 is when it oh, was wow. verified via the Twin Galaxies uh, scoring and adjudication process, I believe is what it stands for. Basically, people on people went online, uh, decided that, yes, this is a legitimate score. So, yay. And according to Orcade.com, uh, Max, I don't know how the last name is pronounced, maybe Haraski. Haraska, perhaps, or maybe Schwad. Um, 
but Max scored, um, let's see, 183,380 on June, tw- uh, July 27, 2017 at Galloping Ghost. Wait, what was How? his score? What? What did you say his score was? 183,380. I ask, I, I ask because this other source that I'm seeing here says it was a guy named Freddie Morish holding the record for this game with 219,320 points. He scored those October 9th of 1983. Unless, and what score, what's your source? Uh, arcadehistory.com. Well, it could be that it just hasn't been updated because both of these scores are just a year old. If the arcadehistory.com entry hasn't been updated, then but yeah, I the can score that it. you got on Orcade is lower than this one. That's Orcade. Is that did it doesn't, Ar- Arcade... it doesn't say anything about the source here? Yeah, it's pro- they're probably talking that, about Twin Galaxies. That might be the Twin Galaxies score. That that would be that might have score. been what it was before um, Maria got her score. Could be. So yeah. Ah, that's my microphone. Uh, my glasses hitting the microphone. So, right, well, I think that's uh, basically closing the door on Anteater, huh? Yeah. Yeah, wow. Hey, we're getting you guys out of here at a decent hour tonight, and, and not a moment too soon, because we can hear the f- July 4th fireworks going off, and it's only July 3rd. Ah. Yes. So, happy uh, ungrateful colonialist day to all of my all of my friends. And uh, to all even my though it'll friends. be long, it'll be long after that day when they finally hear this. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I think we should reveal the theme for today's episode. I oh think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Do you want to reveal the theme, or should I reveal it? The I want you reveal it. You haven't. Okay. You, you haven't been very revealing lately. No, so I will uh, do some thematic revealing of tonight's episode, or this morning's episode, or this afternoon's episode, depending on when you're listening. Uh, and uh, that theme would be um, arcade game. Well, they're all we all. They're all arcade games. And they're all Jeez, games, too. Yeah. The theme is um, you are controlling a body part, especially a part of the face. Because in Anteater, you control a tongue, and in eyes, you control a eye. There you go. Games in which you control a body part. The theological implications are staggering. Mm-hmm. And this is not an adult episode, either. So. No. Actually, I don't think we control the body part in the adult games we talked about, now that I think about it. No, we control, like, little drawy things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. so... Well, in only one of those games where any we were close to being playable. So, yeah. well, there we go. Um, thinking of which, we need to cover kicks uh, sometime soon. I don't think we've talked about that yet. Oh, so... And I don't uh, think that's hey, on the about, list. So, what are we... Then, in that case, what are we talking about next episode? Well, do you, don't you think, though, we should uh, thank some people first? Yeah. <sighs> Fine, ungrateful donors. Jeez. Uh, okay, all right. You know what? I'm going to like cut the deck here and just to uh, change the order around a little bit so it's not so predictable. What I did was I cut the list in half and pasted the one half to the other half so it's Ooh, in a different these. order. And I'm going to go in reverse order from there. So the first person that we at Pie Factory Podcast think is nate lockhart memory machine is his podcast i believe yes i believe you're correct thank you to art guglielmo <clears throat> and actually uh his uh his podcast is part of the geekiverse yes uh, podcast yes, thank you. network yes. by the way which i do and, listen to and thank you to one of not one but two people who have invited us to uh, a private arcade and that'd be tim foley thank you tim thanks tim thank you to somebody we finally met at midwest gaming classic kyle etter yes thank you kyle 
Thank you to um, a person who recently went somewhere that I went, and that's Silverball in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Thank you, Michael D'Angelo. And thank you to a person I've never met in any way, shape, or form before. Thank you, Rory Charles Coleman. And thank you to um, somebody who took a really boring Atari game and made a fun podcast episode out of it. Thank you, Atari Bytes. Really and thank you Atari to games. somebody else I know nothing about, unfortunately, and I feel terrible about it. But thank you, Richard Valdez. And thank you to a place I've been a couple of times, uh, Underground Retrocade. Thank you, R. <laughs> and, and thank you to uh, somebody who's very reassuring to Jimmy G, Steve Steiner. And thank you to somebody oh, who, yes, definitely. who yes. has uh, really been a lot of help, and I don't remember how, but I know he's been a lot of help. Thank you, PJ Steele. And thank you to our most recent guest on Pie Factory Podcast, Keith Sheehan. Yes, thank you. Thank you, and uh, and I know you're going to kick ass on the bar exam, D. Alex. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I've been following that. Yes, yes. Mahalo to Jonas Rulo. Thank you so much. Yes. And congratulations on 100 episodes to Greg Polander. Oh, yes. Soul yes. Blazer. Uh, we keep I, me and Sean talked about recording something for your hundredth episode, but it just totally slipped our minds. Sorry about that, dude. Yeah, you can just use this if you want. Yeah, uh, actually, we'll just say it now. Happy hundredth uh, anniversary, uh, SNES podcast. Yes, happy hundredth anniversary, Greg and George. Hundredth episode anniversary, whatever. Greg oh, and George. Whatever. Oh, it's kind of like Greg a, and Jorge. My my wife and I went to a taping of Man of the People at WGN, mm-hmm. and um, it was the twentieth episode. And one of the uh, cards that he used to uh, go back to come back from a commercial said "Happy 20th Anniversary" <laughs> instead of 20th episode. So it was it was like really cool. Oh, and in this episode, we have two new sponsors that uh, we really? wish to thank right now. First of all, thank you to uh, Richard Grounds, who not only now sponsors Pie Factory Podcast via Patreon, but he also is kind enough to remind everybody that it's been zero days since the last discussion of, say, E.T., <laughs> and that provides a wonderful service. So thank you for both of that, Richard. And also thank you to New Balance Phoenix Stores. Hmm. All I have to say is... Hey, Nike of El Mirage, get with the program. You're going to let those guys get the publicity, but not yourself? Come on, sponsor us too. Yes. But anyway, uh, those people sponsored us over Patreon. They reached out and monetarily help us out every month. And if you wish to do the same thing and help us out, that's uh, Patreon. Pay for Sean's Lion Kugel. You know, I haven't had one in a while. Really? You, you, or fund my future Lester's Fixins. Fix. Yeah, the chocolate bacon soda, I think, is going to be next. I'm going to have to try uh, that one, too. You can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. I think I said something that our booth announcer is going to say anyway. Oh, well. Oh, well. But, you know, thank thank you, of course, to Steve Tuiville. Yes, thank you, Steve. Um, You know, we were just talking here, and you know what I would like to see? A psychic do a podcast where the very first episode is a clip show. Oh, that'd be something. I would tune into that. Huh. In fact, you know what? We should just do a podcast called Clip Show. Oh, yeah. Everything's a clip from other podcasts. We need to do a clip show for Pie Factory. Yeah, we do. We, we've, yeah. we've, it, it's been three. I remember when we had, uh, when we had Phil on, we were joking that our, when we finally, this is before we talked about Robotron, but when oh, we yeah. finally talked about oh, hold, Robotron. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Oh. This week in Robotron. 
Okay, go ahead. Okay, when we finally talked about Robotron, it was going to be a clip show. <laughs> yeah, just every time we talked about it, so yeah. I think I think we've talked more about that game than any other <laughs> game on this show. <laughs> hey, why, why do we I have that segment? Reason, it's because we found that if you get three people together, three arcade game fans together... Robotron Tron. will come up in conversation. It's, it's That's like a the, given. It's kind of like the uh, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, except for the arcade. Yeah. Yeah. Every video game owes something to Robotron, even if it came out before Robotron. Yeah, right. Right. So, um, so yeah. Uh, hey, what are we going to talk about next week there? Uh, oh, yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, we had decided that um, we were actually going to talk about uh, a couple games next episode. Oh, and, awesome. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was either a couple of games or a couple of not games. So, but yeah, we decided we're going to talk about a couple of games, and those games will be Millipede and Millipede Liberator. And dun, Liberator. Dun, 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 dun. Liberator, okay. Yes, sounds, liberator. Sounds and we're not talking about those love cushions that you can buy for $100 on Walgreens' website, and I'm not making that up either. Link in the show notes. Link in the show notes, yes. And uh, I, I don't know if we're going to link to that. Autobiography of a Schnook is coming closer and closer. I was going to oh, ask you about wait. that. Uh, yeah. when, when, when are you hoping to premiere that? As soon as possible, of course. Oh, I, mean, of I don't course, have a yeah. day. I mean, I, I recorded some music for it, and I got to record more music for it. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yes, I'm looking forward to it also. So because I'm like up to date on my podcasts currently. Oh, so, so I got to hurry up and get you. Yes, uh, I need more backlogged. Content. <laughs> need content. Uh, Alrighty, I guess that's it for another, that is definitely another it. successful episode hey i didn't i don't think i did too bad for not actually writing notes out for a change <laughs> yeah, that was actually pretty it's kind of like when, when ferg stopped using scripts like he's he, he got more dynamic yeah yeah i mean i i think yeah well i, I don't want to go on about that but let's just end the episode now because we're actually getting done at an actually an early time for once yeah and the thing yeah. is we both have a day off tomorrow so it doesn't even yeah, matter we could have stayed as late as we wanted to yeah, we could have, but you know huh. what, though? There are fireworks going off in my neighborhood, so. Uh. Yeah. So, yes, happy 4th of July to all of our friends, even though we're saying it late. Um, oh, I do want to make one uh, one little uh, comment about uh, Bike MS before we take off here. Uh, I'm only 60 bucks away from uh, raising $1,000, and even though the ride's over, I do have until August 23rd to raise oh, awesome. funds for this year's uh this year's ride so uh yeah uh, if you want to help push me over the thousand dollar mark i've never raised this much money for a charity event in my life and i'm kind of proud of that and um yeah. so help me out and uh it's only 60 bucks and you know the cost of a cup of coffee yes cost of at a cup starbucks of at starbucks yes if you get the venti yes or so. trenta do they still have that uh venti trenta and grande see <laughs> so oh, all right well. Well, we will talk to you all again next episode for episode 79. And uh, we should do something special for episode 80. Mm, yeah. yeah. Or maybe Freezer not. burn. I don't know. What's that? Freezer burn? Freezer burn. Yeah. Oh, yes. That is your oxymoron. I totally forgot about that. So, Bye-bye, everybody. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. Whoa. 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 Oh, oh hold on. on. I can hear me. I can hear me. Yes, hold on. My uh, headphones popped out. Don't! Don't! Ah.
Molly! Uh, that's not the only thing that popped out, I'll have you know. <laughs> I heard that she's 20 years old, and I remember thinking, wait a minute, Tim's about my age. He's not old enough to have a 20-year-old daughter. Mm, you'd be, you'd be and shocked. And then I was like, wait a minute, he's my age. He is old enough yep. to have a 20-year-old daughter. Considering that two of my classmates from grade school are now grandparents and they're mm. my age. So it's like, yeah, okay, I guess he can have a 20-year-old daughter. I think it's going to be a little bit before I'm a grandparent, but yeah, I, I I can wait. At least you hope. At least I hope. Yeah, but I, I can wait. But if, I, if I'm a grandparent, I'd be... I, I'd really have to go fi- go read some pamphlets as to how that happened. <laughs> but I don't know. Asexual cell division and you, a primer for the parent-to-be. You may be wondering how you have children when you have never sexually reproduced. Well, my friend, there is a solution to that. It is asexual cell reproduction. How might that be work, you ask? Easy, my friend. Just say divide and will it into being. Suddenly, you are a parent. Congratulations. I should make a film. I, sh- I should do, like, old school films. I think I would be good mm. at that. 